You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where it isn't a schism if it doesn't have rhythm. I'm your host, Justin Mlezneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone ever has said and ever will say on this show. Also, I have no idea what that open equip means. It just sounded cool, so I said it. So there. So how about we just forget about it and bring in my co-host. Not a solo episode. Joining me Thank this God. trip. Thank God. I mean, you know how tiring those things are? From Dale's Laud, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Don't worry, guys. I still get paid for the solo episodes the same amount as the episodes I'm on. So uh, so there's no loss. Uh, yeah, things are Actually, going there great. there is because he pays. <laughs> you, 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 don- you donate to Patreon. <laughs> yeah, things are going good, man. Uh uh beautiful weather here in uh la uh no masks uh required anywhere uh although i went to a hockey game on thursday i still had to show my covid uh uh passport um at a hockey game yeah yeah Watch i feel like hockey sharks. people would be tougher than that yep it was it was great though uh um uh shout out to uh the person who invited me uh, i took my friend with me dane um and uh it was in one of those I've been in the like club level boxes before. This was like in the club in the club level. And so yeah. like their own bartender and they had food out yeah. and there was just a couple seats uh like forward but you could see, you know, from everywhere in that you know, standing around in that level. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um parking is always a adventure down there though, but uh but uh it was um it was good and then Man, we've had uh, a lot of uh, stuff to to talk about this week on the show, so I'm I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. There aren't many news stories, but I think there's a lot to say on the few things we did pick out. So let's head into it in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. This life will be fun, but we just complain and I hope this As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. You can give as little or as much as you want. We appreciate any support, including affirmations. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. So the first thing I really, really wanted to talk about, William, is... ARI, the Ayn Rand Institute, being added again. And at the risk of being canceled in the objectivist movement, or <laughs> as they might say, excommunicated, right? Because it's more yeah, religious yeah. than it is. Although that's social justice is religious too. So it's uh, actually interesting, the similarities here, because one of the, and I don't even want to say names, because I don't, honestly, I don't care about names. And I think one of the things about this article is the use of we. And the use of they and the use of 
plural pronouns is very interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter who is saying this. It's the mentality of people who are supposed to be part of a, I don't want to even say part of, people who are supposed to live by a philosophy that is about individualism and freedom, individuality and freedom, and then the use of the we, right? So this organized fashion. So the Ayn Rand Institute published an article called Of Schisms, Public and Private. Now... If you are knowledgeable about insider baseball of objectivism or objectivists, objectivists love to morally decry other people and talk about how terrible they are and how evil they are because of the errors they've made. And this is over any disagreement. Yeah, this is over any disagreement. It's just people love, especially with the advent of social media. I mean, obviously, I wasn't part of any of this. I wasn't aware of any of this before social media. But with social media, it's even the, the simplest things cause, quote unquote, schisms. Now, recently, a couple prominent people, a former, bo- a former board member and a person who runs a magazine have been critical of the Ayn Rand Institute. I mean, a lot of people have been critical. We've been critical of the Ayn Rand Institute, right, William? Hell yeah. I mean, we... Right. Yeah. There, there are good things and bad things being done, and so, of course, we're going to pass moral judgment on those things right. and be critical when we need to. Right, and I don't even want to say necessarily moral judgment. I think all judgment implies morality, yeah. which is, I think, one of the things about objectivism that's uh, important that a lot of people miss. And they overdo it when they say everything has to be a moral judgment. The act of judging in itself is a moral action because you're deciding what is good and bad for your life. So judging necessarily is moral. So why emphasize it by saying moral? Yeah. But yeah, and that, yeah. you've even jumped ahead, right? Even what you just said to me is the conclusion of the of the points I want to make here. So there's a disagreement, and this is the latest in, like, I would say three major schisms in the history of objectivism. And I don't want to know. I don't want to go into what those are. But you know, there are multiple nonprofits. You know, there's Ayn Rand's Institute, the Atlas Society. There was also the, um, crap, the name escapes me, wrote the um, the Nathaniel Brandon Institute, right, before yep. the Ayn Rand Institute. And all of these things are because of disagreements exploding and articles having to be written. So this article was written to explain why the Ayn Rand Institute approaches these quote-unquote schisms the way it does and why these schisms happen. Now, the first thing for me, William is before I even get into quotes, I pulled out some quotes here. The first thing for me, William, is if you're a nonprofit and you are dealing with a philosophy and you're trying to promote that philosophy, you're trying to share that philosophy. I prefer the word share, but they say promote or forward it. Should you even get involved in schisms? Now, what I mean by that is if someone is saying bad things about you and you want to respond to them, I can see that saying, you know, these allegations are false, but I don't see the point in even writing an entire article to be like, oh, this is why people disagree and this is why people handle the disagreements in a certain way. Is that even within the purview of a, of a rational organization promoting a way of life? I don't know. Maybe as a case study or example, how to apply it to your own life. I mean, I could see that, 
But that makes sense. But was that in this article? No, that was what this article was not. And right. that's what I would criticize the most is that, hey, if you're going to even talk about this at all, it should be framed in the sense of like, here is how you should deal with this in your own life. Right. Right. Well, I mean, the set of people who have I... to worry about this when they're running an organization is very small. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that was the point I was making earlier about the use of we and they, you know, it's the royal we in an organization that's supposed to be about individualism. So the, they're talking from their perspective of running this organization as if it applies to everyone who is aware of the organization. It's very bizarre. It's it, it's. William, I, I hate to use this word because I'm going to piss people off, but it's slightly narcissistic, is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it, so it, some quotes. Here. It has to be a response to something, right? Because this seems like it's out well, of nowhere. This is like such old news, right? It. Well, first of all, it takes them forever to do anything because they're going to get it right. Everything has to be 100 percent right in public. You know, people can't make mistakes. Right, which is also a misapplication of the philosophy, but also they're in a little bubble, right? They're in an isolated community. I imagine these conversations are going on behind the scenes because there have later been a few live streams about this topic, about the article and the topic mm. in different sort of subgroups here. So this conversation is not dead. So that's also a thing about, you know, it's part of why I don't use social media as much now. You know, I haven't really been on social media much since January. It's because of people get ingrained in these things that are disconnected from reality. This whole thing is is not... How is it relevant to anything? How is it relevant to your life? Yeah. So a couple of quotes. We are not here attempting to rebut their allegations. Rather, our goal is to explain why schisms occur within intellectual movements, to articulate some of the principles that guide ARI in navigating them, and to clarify why we consider the people's accusations to be completely non-objective. Wait, 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 wait. So I don't understand, William. Isn't clarifying why you consider the accusations to be completely non-objective a form of rebutting them? I mean, it is a perfectly valid form of rebutting them. I'm not saying if it's valid yeah. or invalid. I'm yeah. just saying it is rebutting, right? <clears throat> yeah. So how it's... does their first sentence not contradict their last sentence? I don't know. <laughs> so again, this seems... I mean, I don't think it, I don't know how intentional it is, William, but it, it, if this was a non-objectivist source, right, or like this was more of a, a left-leaning source or social justice source, wouldn't we question how manipulative that paragraph is? Oh, we're not rebutting their allegations, but we're rebutting them. Wouldn't we say this is an attempt to seem one way and be another? Yeah. Yeah. So I question how intentional that is. Then some of the more meat here, right? Consequently, if a pos positive rational movement takes ideas seriously and demands moral behavior from its allies, then disagreements and schisms should not be puzzling or surprising. What would be surprising, indeed cultish, would be everyone in the movement walking in lockstep, mouthing the same slogans, supporting the same actions, and never uttering a critical word about one another. So here, here's where one of my main issues is, William. This is, again, going back to what I was saying in the first paragraph yeah. that I read. How manipulative is this? Because they say that's not what's going on. 
that but supporting the same actions, never uttering a critical word, mouthing the same slogans. But that is what's going on. Yeah, exactly. You I would 100% agree with that set sentence. And if ARI did that, I would be all, you know, not, I would be, I would heap praise on them. But that's not what we see. That's not what we see in action. Right. And it's we because, see honest William, disagreements. We see honest disagreements turned into instead of, you know, instead of being critical of each other and supporting where you agree, it becomes a, oh, this person, you know, once criticized Peacock in a certain way, that makes them completely immoral and we're booting them out of the uh, 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 of the movement. Right. It, it's it's crazy. Right. And you, you, you were going to say I th- you almost said it. You almost said it. I thought you were going to say it. And you were going to take the words out of my mouth. But what you just said is every disagreement becomes a schism. Yeah. Notice they don't say disagreements or schisms. Disagreements and schisms. Yeah. Why, William, does every, dis- as you just said, does every disagreement have to become a schism? Why? Why is every disagreement completely essential? Why is it, it and part of the answer comes in the final quote here, but why is it that every application of the philosophy has to be the same across the board for all people? Yeah. Is that rational? No. And and, and, and it, expecting everyone to have the same level of, of depth of understanding, especially understanding of the application of objectivism, yes. is just completely irrational, right? Someone could be completely, honestly wrong, right? And if you can't deal with other people that are, are sincere and genuine and honestly wrong, you're going to... Never have any friends. Never have any allies. Right? Well, it's it, it's the difference between a teammate who intentionally scores an own goal in soccer or intentionally throws an interception in football and one who's trying to make the right play and just misreads the coverage. Let's go with the quarterback metaphor. Yeah. Think about a quarterback who, you know, he intentionally throws an interception. I'm not saying there are quarterbacks who do that. But let's just use that hypothetical. Versus a quarterback who goes, oh, this is where I think the coverage is and throws an interception. Which one do you get mad at? And which one do you not? Yeah. And you can still criticize. You can say, hey, if you had practiced that play more, right? You, 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 know, you can be critical, right? But you don't say, this person is literally Hitler, right? right. <laughs> That's the because wrong conclusion need... to draw. <laughs> right. Because in, in that, and I want to go back to the moral point. It is moral to make that judgment and be critical of them because you want to improve your own team so it wins. So it succeeds and you want that player to improve. So at that point, that is a moral judgment because it's a judgment. But moral judgment does not imply that when you're being critical, it's negative. And that is I don't know if that's left over from an irrational culture that says, you know, don't judge. But that is something that is smuggled in in the general culture. The idea that all criticism and being critical is necessarily negative. So if you say, oh, you could have done that better, or this is how you could have done that better, or, you know, this is the mistake you made. I mean, I will say personally, one of the joys I have in coaching is I can have that conversation where one of my wrestlers will have a video of her match and I'll look at it and I'll go, can you tell me what you did wrong there? And she will just say what it was. And then because she does that, she can improve. And I saw that this year where a week later, a girl after losing to a girl twice on one Saturday, the next week beat her because she literally said to me, well, that's what I did wrong. That was critical. That was a judgment. That was a disagreement. 
That didn't cause a schism in the team. Improvement causing schisms, yeah. Well, and and I think I would I I don't know tentatively, like schisms are an indication. Frequent schisms are an indication of an unhealthy culture, not a not necessarily a. Uh, like if you have a growth mindset, if you have people with growth mindset, you should have lots of disagreements, but not too many schisms, right? Uh, well, right. If you have I, a, I, I would you, think well, it, it, this is the thing, William. So growth mindset, I'm, I'm keying in on that because you said that. And when I moved to Florida and started teaching at this school in the school district, I started hearing that more growth mindset, growth mindset, right? I had never heard that terminology before. And the reason I had never heard of it before, and it was strange to me, is doesn't growth mindset necessarily follow from the objectivist principles? Yeah, it definitely does. The idea of like, moral it, perfection not being a platonic, like that—that's right. that's the—that's uh, the key to growth. That's the, that that idea put into practical sort of layman terms is growth mindset. Right. The, it's, perf- moral perfection is the process, not the product. Right. And that's, I think that's, to me, what's causing the schisms more than anything. Not recognizing that disagreements are part of the process. It's seeing, it's seeing the philosophy and the way of life as a product, not a process. Does that make sense? Or am I yeah. talking crazy? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay, so... Then I want to go on to my final quote here, and I'm going to I'm going to advocate something radical here, and I'm going to advocate what at its core, I think, is the issue here that causes all of these problems and that I think was the fundamental error that should have been avoided from the beginning. They talk about in the article how Rand never wanted anything advocating for her or advocating her philosophy, no sort of groups or anything. And then they wrote, of course, Rand's death made the situation radically different. She was no longer there to police the use or misuse of her name or philosophy to declare who is an authorized representative and who is not. And no one could reasonably regard any existing individual organization as a spokesman for a person now deceased. ARI founded three years after Rand's death did not and does not pretend to be a spokesman for Ayn Rand or objectivism. Nor is its mission to create and organize objectivist movements. Its mission is to disseminate Ayn Rand's philosophical system of objectivism by means of educational activities. So I have two things, William. One, I would say, and this is more sort of technical, but I would say many of their activities do not fit under that mission statement. Mm -hmm. But more Broadly, if they do not pretend to be a spokesman for Ayn Rand or objectivism, why are they named the Ayn Rand Institute? Literally three years passed. Her body was barely cold and an institute was named after her against her wishes. Against her wishes. Now, I understand the attempt is to honor her. Why then was not a museum made and then an advocacy organization made? You could have had two different organizations. You could have the Ayn Rand Museum, and then you could also have, you know, the organization for 
the oath or something. I don't know. I was just talking the, off the Gulch speech. You know what I mean? The oath in that yeah. struggle. Or you could have the Gulch. You could call your organization the Gulch. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, if this if this quote is a call for ARI to return to this mission, I think uh, I think I think I'd be in support of that. But it's not though. It's, it's not. using that mission as a shield to defend yeah. what they are doing. Yeah. It's I mean it, it it to me it plays like a rationalization, and that's the problem rhetorically. Rhetorically, you're called the Ayn Rand Institute. So what are people going to think when they hear what your organization or somebody who works for your organization has to say? That you represent Ayn Rand, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a name change should be coming? That's that's how I should read this? I mean, I don't think it ever should have been named the Ayn Rand Institute. And yeah, I think a name change should be coming. And I think a fundamental reworking of what they're actually doing needs to be coming. But we've said that over and over again on this show. Yeah. And this article, this article, I think, encapsulates everything that's wrong with... I don't know. Do I even want to say the objectivist movement? Because I hate the idea that there's a movement. I just think the perspective of many individual objectivists is harmed by this kind of reasoning and thought process. Yeah. I, I Focus think, on I, your I'm, own life. Yeah. I'm glad that they've written this in the sense of like, I think we were talking before the show, this, this, I've had question marks about their their what they have rationalized as their reasoning for this stuff and this answers those questions for me so i'm I'm glad in that way to see this written even if it's like seems like it's two years later um and i don't know i i it it's definitely something that people can point at and say because i don't think this it, we're seeing a lot of the sort of old guard leave you know, in the, uh, in, like you said, the don't call it the objectivist movement. Um, and you have a lot of people who are approaching this, um, more individualistically and yeah. using the supports like I was describing, right? Like I wouldn't say I'm hostile to ARI, right? Um, they have got some great resources and I've leveraged them back when I ran the community group in Baltimore and things like that. Right. They do some good things, and they should be praised for those things. Well, and that's the thing to be clear about here. Like, yeah. well, there, there's no reason to be hostile to ARI or the people who work there. They're not out there. Yeah, this isn't babies. a call for schism, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just like here are the the mistakes that are being made, and it's it's why generally and this is an example of one of those, definitely. Right, more harm is being done than good, and as you just said, William, I am also glad it's written because it stands as evidence. That I believe a rational person can read that and be like, okay, this is not an organization. I'm going to take that seriously. And again, I also feel like I, ha- I, I also feel like I have to say, I'm not making any statements or calls on like whether so and so should have been kicked off the board or if ARI should partner with particular people or not. Like that's so stuff that I don't have any information on or frankly give a damn about. 
Right. right. It's nothing to do with it. Right. <laughs> what do I give a fuck? Like, I don't care. Right. Uh, uh, associate if, with who you want. Well, hold it on. It's not that I completely. Uh, yeah. It's not that I'm completely apathetic. I like it when when people can find things that they can cooperate on and produce good content or produce good, you know, uh, you know, educational content stuff like that. So that's good, right? And then if they can't right. work together, okay, right? Like that's also okay, right? So yeah. I, I want to make sure make it clear. It's not that I. Uh, I completely don't care, but it's sort of like I don't care in the sense of like okay, right? Like do do what you are able to do, and and if you're not able to do it, fine. Right, and I also like what people that I like people want to work with people that I like. So when a group of people that I don't know that well work with another group of people that I don't know that well, why do I care? You know what I mean? It's like when somebody random gets signed by an NFL team. It's like, hey, did you hear this kicker got signed by the uh, the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, why do I care about any of that? Right? The, the Patriots would see the Panthers maybe once a year if the scheduling lines up. Why does that matter to me? Right? It's some random... Or like, it's like why people don't watch the seventh round of the draft, William. Right? Or the sixth round yeah, of the draft. Yeah. Nobody, nobody cares because nobody knows who those players are. And what? 31 other teams you don't give a shit about? It's the same thing. And it's the same thing here. Especially because even in the draft, it's even more obvious that those people don't speak for you. Right? It's the same thing here. They don't speak for me. It's interesting, though, to look at the perspective that these people have in ARI and say, hey, what's going on? And I just found this particularly... I mean, it's farcical. I found it farcical. And I think we've really hit on uh, how it's farcical. What do you think? Yeah. Yep. More farce to be witnessed. More, there's always more farce to be witnessed. Like, I didn't expect that this week. And the last story, man, that's farcical too. But let's talk about something that's sort of positive, and, but it does reveal the farce of our, our culture. So uh, my sci-fi, one of my sci-fi author friends sent me uh, some information about a Kickstarter. I mean, this Kickstarter, I don't even know what it's up to now. What, what, what is this Kickstarter up to, William? Oh, I don't know. I'll look it up while you're... Uh, while you're uh... Vamping. Okay, so I was I was floored by this, right? I was floored by this because this this is a fantasy author named Brandon Sanderson, and I'm not even gonna lie, I'm I'm ignorant. I don't know who this guy is. But his Kickstarter has raised at the time of the article that I have here that was published March fourth, right? So that's what, a week over a week ago? Over a week ago, especially when you're listening to this, had raised twenty two million. It is now $27,834,040. One more time. $27,834,040. So about $28 million. $28 yeah. million. He has done this so he can publish four novels that he wrote during the pandemic. Now, is it a year? Is it two years? I don't want to squabble about the quality here. Right, I don't know anything about this author. I don't want to talk about how good he is or not. I can't speak to that. But this in itself, William, is a massive accomplishment. This is the most successful Kickstarter ever. And the reason this blew me away is I didn't know there were this many people still reading in today's day and age. That there is this kind of money out there still to be made should be inspiring to anyone with talent and a desire to sell books to be read, to be consumed. 
Like you could want to write and just write for yourself, but if you want to write and have it be read and gain an audience, there's still clearly an audience out there. I mean, this is this is one guy and 27 million for four books. Now, reading this article from Slate, and I don't know how much I agree with it, the idea that that money is really not going to go that far in publishing the books because he's trying to take on the responsibilities of the publishing agency. But I would question if he's already made the $27 million, isn't the marketing of the books already been done? Yeah, marketing complete. Right? Yeah. Right. He just needs to print them and get them to his Kickstarter supporters. And he's right. already, so, he's, like anything else, is gravy. Right. Are we really going to argue in today's day and age that someone who has $27 million can't come up with an affordable... And I'm talking about affordable within the context of $27 million. Like, there's nothing affordable for me printing-wise, right? I had to go through Amazon. But you think he can't figure out in the year in the year 2022 how to come up with a printing and shipping operation that's going to be affordable because of the numbers he's going to have to print under? But that's what the argument was making. That's what the argument the article was making, was the idea that he's going to try and take on the, tr- the responsibilities of a traditional publishing house, and that's going to basically bankrupt him which is absolutely absurd, which is why this is an accomplishment, because not only is he making this much money off of this, and again, this isn't uh, profits, this is revenue, right? This is a revenue of 27, 28 million, sorry. We don't know what his profits are going to be, but I mean, shit, William, even if he spends $26 million to distribute everything, he's still made $2 million, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. a fuckload of money. Um, maybe not with inflation and everything, but... <laughs> It was two dollars two years ago. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> nobody's talking about that. No, I'm just kidding. But also that he's taking on the publishing industry here. He's basically saying, "I don't need the industry anymore." I, I, this, this to me is when Kickstarter was launched and everything. This to me is what the potential was of it, and it's inspiring. And honestly, it 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 fills me with awe that someone was finally able to use Kickstarter for what it was ostensibly built for. Yeah. I, I think I, even the way that he, so this, I guess all started with a live stream where he was, you know, announcing, going to announce this. And, and the surprise was it wasn't just one, it was, you know, four books. One of them I think is a graphic novel and, you know, the graphic novel, the, would would probably be the one of them is like going to take a while just because it needs to go through the rest of the process right but he's like hey it's all written it's all storyboarded it's all you know just needs to get you know color, like you know all the all the rest of the art put in and all that stuff um so it's really um what a love letter to his fans right uh, that's the other thing too is it's about building your audience and knowing your audience and you know we've talked about you 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 talked about it uh, just a minute ago you know, there's an aspect of you're doing this for yourself, you're creating the art for yourself, but then this uh, connection you can build with your audience about people who can see that thing that you're building and and appreciate that thing that you're building, that piece of art that you're building. Um, th- this is 27 million reasons why that why that works, right? Very different than how we see a lot of art um, made, like, let's say in Hollywood as an example. Right. And and I want to be clear that other artists have done this on a much smaller scale. Oh, I mean, yeah. I myself have supported, you know, like MC Lars and Dr. Awkward when he was still making music. I supported their Kickstarters, their albums, right? And I got rewards and I got to interact with them because of that. But but what makes this so impressive, William, is not everything you just outlined, 
right? It's, it's the scale, the scale of this, right? Because when we talk about like an MC Lars and a Dr. Awkward, you know, MC Lars was on MTV 20 years ago. He hasn't yeah. been on since. So they, they're more minor niche artists. And that's what a lot of Kickstarter has been used for. A lot of crowdfunding has been used for over the past 10 years, over the past 15 years, it's been out there is it's been fueling niche markets because it has the direct to consumer communication in that way, where you can rally the troops that way. This being done on such a large scale and actually this, this upends the publishing industry. Does it not? I think so. I mean, it, it definitely pushes the publishing industry to be more of a talent scout than a, and and maybe even that may not be a niche that they can fill, right? It it's it's uh showing that one thing that the internet and these uh fundraising platforms can provide is a way to directly connect to an audience. And we, you know, that's one thing that the YouTube changes over the years has been um greatly diminishing. Right. With all their algorithmic changes to push you to corporate media um, and corporate media just can't make that kind of connection. It's very rare for them, them to make that uh, to have to let artists make that kind of connection with their audience. Well, I think it's because it's backwards with the, the and we see it with movies, with with the idea of, you know, as you said, the corporate media. I think they see the audience as the product. They don't see the product yeah. as the product. Right. And here we have somebody who writes what he believes is good art. And what I would hope this would push the publishing industry to do is focus more on just putting out good art. I would think the strategy would be if you're a publishing house is to publish as much good art as possible and believe that if you do that, you will make enough money that something will be recognized for its quality. Instead, they do it backwards. They try to find things. And we see this, as I said, most often in you know television and movies, and you know, look at Netflix with their algorithms. Mm-hmm. They try to find things that are popular and backwards, basically hack it. Oh, if we do X plus Y plus Z and we make it a book, that will sell a lot. That's not what people are looking for. People aren't looking for formulas. There's an right. element, I think, in art. William, You're foreshadowing the last story. I, I am foreshadowing the last story. It's all connected. Um. And connect me if I'm wrong, or connect me, correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't there an element of surprise that people want with art? And what I mean by that is saying, I didn't know I wanted this, but I wanted this. I mean, for me, one of the biggest joys in watching a movie or picking up a book that I wouldn't have normally picked up and then I read it and enjoyed it and loved it is the fact that I didn't expect it. That if somebody was like, oh, read this. Like, let me put it this way. When I first read Ender's Game back in the day, the way the guy in the bookstore described it to me, I mean, I was in like middle school. And he's like, oh, you have to read this book. This is what it was about. I was like, that sounds stupid. Right? Oh, a military thing. Oh, that's dumb. And I don't read a lot of military fiction. I really don't. But when I read Ender's Game, I was like, wow, I didn't expect that to be what it was. And I love it because of that. Yeah, it's uh that 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 surprise and delight. Uh, I mean, it was even in the live stream, right? The whole you're thinking where I'm talking about one book that might be coming, and here's four books that are like for sure like 
coming and here's the basically the dates right well that's a sign of him being a good author he knows he knows how to plot things out for people exactly Okay, so let's move on to our, our last story that William was, was foreshadowing here. And William will get to how it's connected. But something I really wanted to talk about is the quote-unquote don't say gay bill that has been passed in Florida. Now, I say quote-unquote because the whole reason I wanted to bring this up is that misnomer, William, is a complete fucking lie. And I don't usually like call things out that directly. I think I said during the pre-show, fantastically farcical framing. I love it. It, it, It's it's just so fantastically farcical. It's completely made up. It's 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 so ridiculous, right? So this is uh, I have House Bill fifteen fifty seven pulled up here. They're from the Florida House of Representatives, and this is called. You want to know what it's called, William? Sure. It's called the Parental Rights in Education Bill. Now, let's just think about that for a second. Okay. It's actually called the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which, I mean, rhetorically, that's a pretty good name bill. That's a pretty well-named bill. Contrast that with what the media is repeating. Don't say gay. Now, this don't say gay bill name has caused protests all over the place. I know multiple schools in my county have had kids stage a walkout protest chanting, we say gay. This is, it's demonstrating the power the media has over people, the power social media has over people, and the way they can get people to be completely disconnected from reality. Because, William, this bill says nothing about not saying gay. So there's one part of this bill that mentions sexuality, okay? It's on page four of the bill. I literally have the PDF pulled up right now. It's section three. Right. So if you go down to the part where it's like enacted by be it enacted by the legislator of the state of Florida. Right. This is what it says. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is age that or that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Now, William, we can debate what developmentally and age-appropriate means. We can debate whether third grade, kindergartners to third graders should be exposed to sexual orientation and gender instruction. Isn't that fa- is that fair to say that we could debate those things? Yeah, yeah. Now, is that what's being debated? No. They're acting like this is a, and I'm I'm using this this time period on purpose. They're acting like this is a 1950s bill to oppress homosexuality, oppress and suppress homosexuality. It's not that at all. All this is is saying the rest of it is talking about when students give information to parents, the school is obligated to give that to the parents. Now it does say unless you know there could be harm or abuse that the, the child suffers as a way as a result of the parent being told. But this is literally William to try and make sure schools and teachers are being responsible and that they're recognizing that the parent is in charge of raising the child, not the school. Is that yeah, not what how the bill is dare doing? we return the school to their custodial 
relationship to the child, right? They are they are acting for the parent. How dare us make a law to enshrine that and point out a real concern? We've seen this. We've covered stories about it, about gender indoctrination being hidden from parents, yes. right? And that's what this bill is a response to. And to frame it as don't say gay is is just so farcical, right? And they're fighting against this boogeyman of eight, like, you know, 1950s or 1960s, like, parents where, like, you know, coming out as gay would get you, you know, ostracized and run away. And you know, maybe there are parents like this. And the bill talks about, just like you said, hey, if, if you think the parent is one of those, like, like, let's, you know, refer them to CPS or something, right? Like, this is, you know, that's unhealthy. That's unhealthy, right? Right. And but- at the same time, we should not be teaching uh, anything. I don't care the subject without the parents being involved. Like the, the, it, these kids are not wards of the state to be instructed as the state sees fit. Teach them anything between kindergarten and third grade. This isn't even that extreme of a bill. It's yeah. it's really like I said, we can debate it, but is it really that extreme to think that kindergartners to third graders should not be talking about sex in any way? Is that really an extreme position? No. And, I mean, the thing about it, they could talk about it. Whose job is it? Whose job is it to have age appropriate um, uh, conversations with K through third graders? Um, it's their parents, and and at any age. And I, again, what is this as a response to? We've seen these crazy ass gender ideologues on TikTok making all these videos of how they're doing grooming behavior with kids, talking about gender and sexuality to young kids. This is all over TikTok. There's tons of people who've been covering this. That's what this is a response to. And well, and William, that is the real insidious thing about what you're saying, and it's hard not to sound conspiratorial right now. Yeah. Because as you said, it's so obvious that this is not about don't say gay, that there is nothing in this bill saying don't yeah. say gay. Look, I'm not even going to lie. If somebody's listening to this podcast and they work for the school board, you can fire me if you want. In my classes, I had kids read the bill. Why? Because they were asking about the protests. And I said, okay, well, what have you heard? And they said, this is what we've heard. And I said, okay, well, why don't we read the bill? And they read the bill. And I had kids legitimately say to me, kids who you would not think would say it. Kids who you would think would be on the side of the protests say to me, well, this doesn't say anything about not saying gay. Yeah. This is about talking to the parents. I had them look at that. Because it's so starkly different than what's being portrayed in the media that I have to go, what's the purpose? Why is the media lying like this? And that's where you get into the grooming aspect of it, William. I have to believe that the point is to take the power away from the private citizen and put it in the government's hands. You know, we can say it's about the parents and on this battlefront it is that they're trying to take the power from the parents and give it to the government. But this is all just a a battle to say this bill that's trying to give power back to the private citizen. And now we can argue about whether we need a bill to limit government. Is that is that an oxymoron? But that's kind of the problem with the right to begin with. Right. So as good as this bill may seem, it's still a bill that grows government in order to limit government, which is an oxymoron. Still, they're trying to say that that bill is evil for a different reason than what they think it's evil for. 
if they were actually saying, hey, this bill is bad because it's taking power away from the school, I could respect that. But they're not because they know that position is untenable. They know that position would be rejected. So how evil is this that they're acting like this is oppressive? And this is what has been happening in our society for a long time. Oh, you do something we don't like, so we're going to say you're racist, you're sexist, you're homophobic, you're transphobic. Oh, really? Because I'm concerned about cutting on kids' bodies, I'm transphobic? Yeah, that I'm you're saying, why do we treat about, the body rather than the About psychological mind? isolation behaviors. Yes, and and people people with you know with promoting gender ideology, promoting those behaviors and sending yes. them to places that you know that we know are dangerous, especially for people who are dealing with these sort of psychological issues. And you want to refuse. You want to not only refuse to tell the parent, but tell the kid not to tell the parent. Like this right. is this is crazy, right? Um. But, you know, Justin, I want I, I have to make another connection here. We talked about it a little bit. I posted a video on our Discord. Um, I'm going to switch us all the way to Lord of the Rings, because for me, this framing, this You're reframing nuts. thing. You conspiracy theorist. This reframing thing, like you said, is rampant across the culture. And as some it's of you everywhere. may know. It's everywhere. As some of you may know, Amazon has uh, uh, made a Rings of Power series, Lord of the Rings. They've been promoting it, and it's been a hilarious train wreck how they're reporting it. It's uh, v- They had a, all these promotional videos all talking about how diverse and inclusive the, inclusive the cast will uh, are with super fans of Lord of the Rings that had no social media history of being fans of Lord of the Rings in many different languages, all parroting the same script in front of the same castle, uh, all across uh, different uh, Amazon channels uh, in different countries. It was hilariously awkward. And basically, all of the fans came out and said, WTF. And just to give a cop- couple concrete so that the Lord of the Rings, people who are familiar with Lord of the Rings uh, know, uh, for example, they have a black female dwarf without a beard. And people were like, hey, dwarf women have beards. Like, this is, like, simple, right? Like, it's just written in, like, Tolkien. This is what Tolkien says. This is what's in the book. Like, what are we doing? And they have uh, Gladriel, who is, uh, if you remember her from the Lord of the Rings movies, if you watch that, she, you know, she's a badass diplomat. She's very strong and powerful, but she's not a warrior. She's carrying a sword and climbing a mountain in chain in, uh, in armor, which is kind of a bad idea. Um, I reject the concept of a badass diplomat. Diplomat. Continue. Okay. Um, so anyway, it's, it's just, it's just weird, right? Like, it's like, it's, uh, looks like they reskinned Lord of the Rings and put it on some sort of Marvel movie, right? Or, or some sort of trying to be Lord of the Rings with, uh, or sorry, trying to be Game of Thrones with Lord of the Rings characters or something. And nothing, nonstop promotional material about the diversity inclusion. People are like, well, what about the story, right? Um, anyway, so... This uh, dumpster fire happens. A couple of the videos get taken down by Amazon. The you know people are the commentators, uh, the independent commentators, are all talking about it. In comes the shill media, trying different narratives to see if they can you know do what they always do: call everyone like you said, racist, homophobic, uh, you know, all those things, right? Uh, and so they all come out, and I loved this uh, independent content creator that I posted when he reads what the shill media has written. He just replaces those framing words, those trigger words, those 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 times when they try to smuggle in concepts with what the what they're actually doing. And so, like when they were saying, you know, just describing the diversity of the dwarf, and the, there's also a, a a black elf, right? There's no 
There's no, there are black elves, but they, that doesn't refer to race in Lord of the Rings. Um, this uh, black elf that's going to have a, a love story with a single mother. Uh, I shit you not. Um, uh, what is the black elf male? Yes. So they're forcing a black man to have a relationship with a single mother in the show. Don't ask. Uh, you can't go there. You'll be called racist. But anyway, that's all right. I just uh, went there. <laughs> so anyway, this guy Can just replaced the word. So when he's can he when swim? He's, <laughs> I don't know. I think they walk on water. Um, well, they definitely walk on snow. So anyway, um, so when they when he brings these words up, like when they describe him as you know as uh, an African American elf, he'll just say a non canon elf, and and there's a bunch of examples. I encourage you to watch the YouTube video. But undoing that framing is exactly how you take this power away. And that's why I wanted to connect it uh, to, to the story we're talking about today is look at those. Don't let those anti-concepts, those smuggled concepts into your thinking. When you see things being described that way, figure out what is actually the objective way to describe it and put it back in the sentence and you'll see It'll just become glaringly obvious, like, you know, like your example of reading the bill. What I'm saying is my example is replace those words that they're using with the actual what is going on, and it will really improve your thinking on the subject. Well, because you're reading the bill is reading the actual Tolkien text, right? Because what they're doing is they're assuming people aren't going to be critical enough thinkers and independent enough thinkers to do the research themselves, so the the perfect word you use, Justin. Is they're skin. they're they're trotting out scholars that are saying, "Well, Tolkien never said elves had beards, or or female elves had beards." When he literally says, "All dwarves have beards, including females." Right? And you can't tell well, them. Right, the, often, outsiders can't tell the difference between male and female dwarves. Right. That's why I said I, I have to believe this is manipulative and deceptive on purpose. I have to everywhere. sound conspiratorial. Yeah. It has to be because. It's it's like like I said, they're lying with the assumption of two things. One, there are certain there's a certain type of liar who if they they think if they lie boldly enough, people will just accept it because people will be like, oh, well, if he's that sure of his lie, well, it must be true. I mean, I know there are kids who do that in high school and I just look at him and I go, come on, we both know you're lying right now. We both know that's bullshit, but they keep lying because they think if they they continue to be sure, it's going to make me less sure. You just have to, as you said, William. Read the bill and be sure of what you know. And that's the second thing. They're lying because they think if they skin it, people are going to trade off of the image, the name. We see this all the time with remaking past IP and changing it to mean something different than it originally meant. Because what they're doing is they know, William, ultimately reality is not on their side. Right? They know that if people understood A that that's what they would accept, right? If people understood that, and I'm going to be super extreme here, if people understood that they want kids pre-puberty to transition, and when they transition, they want them to take chemicals and cut their bodies, people would go, that's insane. Because, William, that's insane. That is insane. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do that when you're older, but I'm saying pre-puberty as a child, that's insane. So they have to change it. They have to make A be not A, right? Because A is A, is the law of identity. Everything is itself. 
So they have to make it so things aren't themselves and they have to convince you things aren't themselves. And the only way they can do that is to trade and catch phrases that you accept as good and change the underneath of what those things mean. They cut them to their core. Yeah. It's the same thing they've done with taking down statues. Oh, we have to take down these statues of the founders because they actually represent racism. No, that's never what the founders represented. We didn't put up the statues of the founders to represent racism. We put them up to represent what they did, right? Natural rights. I'm just going to use that as my term. We put them up for natural rights and how they did that for the first time in human history, founded a country based on natural rights, but they changed it to make A not A. So that when you thought of George Washington, you thought of racist. When you thought of Thomas Jefferson, you thought of racist. It's the same thing. And it's even more insidious in art, as you're saying, because art is our fictional way of dealing with abstract concepts to learn to play with them so we can apply them concretely to our lives. And when they start doing that, I mean, they're lucky Tolkien's dead. Right. Well, they waited. They waited. They could not have done this. You know, it's Christopher Tolkien being dead. That is why they're able to do this. Right. Correct. Christopher Tolkien would have not allowed this. This is literally akin to murder. Right. I wrote an article once about how, if you remember back in the day, Devin Faraci writing all that stuff about what Zack Snyder's Superman actually meant. Right. You knew inevitably it would have to be here because it's the same thing. I said it was spiritual murder. It is. If you try and reframe somebody else's work as meaning something that it doesn't. Not only something that that it doesn't, but that contradicts what it is. Correct. Thank you for saying that. That's a better way of framing it. That contradicts what it is because Tolkien was Christian, wasn't he? He was. And he wanted to make an sort of an Anglo-Saxon myth, not in a racist way, but in a, hey, here's a an area of like with all these cool myths, you know, like elves and dwarves and dragons and things that he wanted to just build a a world based on that. And yes, there are Christian values in here. The Christian idea of good and evil is in here, right? But it's not Christian and like in like a C.S. Lewis way. In fact, he was writing um, in not in opposition, but in contrast to how C.S. Lewis writes. Yeah. The point being as you just said, they're going completely against what his ideas were. You might as well have killed the guy. It's despicable. Yeah, despicable is the right word. But the framing thing, that, like, I'm telling you, uh, join our Discord, check out this video. The the way this guy breaks down what this uh, article does, I think, is, is, is a lesson in how to deal with this kind of framing that everything gets reframed into the social justice lens. Yeah. Like Marvel. And speaking of Marvel, we're going to go into our next segment now and do so. We're going to talk about the, uh, the latest interpretation of an American icon whose creators aren't around anymore. Batman. Let's do it in the hopeful romantic with JML. Episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. I need a rerun to better cast the next series. 
season when I wasn't focused on. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. You can find the invite link to our Discord channel on any episode link. If you go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode. Within that post, you will find the invite link to the Discord. We look forward to talking to you. Uh, I know this week we had some reviews of the Batman in the Discord, and I was able to finally see the movie. I, I know, William, you saw it the week it came out. It took me a week yeah. because of the state wrestling tournament. I had to wait. And I'm actually really interested in what you have to say because I think this movie, from what I've seen, right? I'm not super engaged online anymore. But from what I've seen, I think this movie is a case of people overreacting in either direction. Now, to sort of spoil my my review a little bit, you know, I don't think this is a remarkable movie either way. I don't think this is a good movie, but I don't think this is an atrocious movie either. Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this movie. Um, There are some good qualities to it. Uh, I like the detective Batman. Um, uh, The practical effects of the fights uh, seemed pretty decent. The movie was too long, and I didn't really like the, uh, the take on Riddler in general. I like that they tried something new. I just don't think it was executed well. And I think that's what I would sort of boil down my review to is some good ideas, some bad ideas, questionable execution, and in some cases, questionable acting. So I'm yeah, like mixed, mixed, maybe slightly. I'm, I mean, I'm glad I went and saw it. So it's not like bad. Like you said, I, I can't give it an outright negative, but it, it's not getting anything you know, it's not getting a recommend for me. Right. And, and it's interesting. Uh, your review pretty much lines up with mine and you've pretty much hit the major issues I have with this movie. There are things that work here, right? I do think that Pattinson has the look in the costume, right? I thought with yeah. the his chin, I mean, people always talk about Batman's chin. I looked at Pattinson. I was like, wow, his chin works. However, the costume itself did not work for me. And the acting as Batman itself did not work for me. He was very subdued. And I think perhaps they were trying to go for like a depressed Batman because the whole movie ended up trying to sort of be about his mental illness again, right? The idea that he had to overcome this need for vengeance, but that's where the whole movie gets confused. And that's one of my major critiques of it where the movie completely lost me when the phrase white privilege was said. (laughs) This whole idea that Bruce Wayne slash Batman basically had to atone for his white privilege caused everything to be very mixed and confused. The entire thing became confused. From the studio or something. Like, it just just sort of happens out of nowhere. You're just like, wait, okay. Well, and then also the idea that uh, if you notice at the end, and this is something my wife pointed out, Catwoman saving him. Right. Okay. Spoiler. Sorry. But, you know, when he's hanging from the rafters of the Madison's not Madison Square Garden. Right. Which I didn't understand. Like, did they always name it the Gotham Square Garden? Is that something I'm just unaware of in Batman mythos? Yeah. But when he's hanging there, she saves him. By the way, she's five to one hundred and ten pounds and he's six one. Do you think she'd be able to lift him up no matter how strong she is? I understand it's a fictional movie, 
But they did that because she's like, we have to fight back against white privilege. And then he essentially would have been the white savior. So they had to make that the ending of the movie to make it so he does. He's not the white savior in this movie because that line may have felt inserted, William. But this was a completely take on Gotham, whereas once again, Gotham's representing America here. The whole point of this movie is Gotham is corrupt. It's founded on corrupt and the power structure is founded on corruption. Sorry, corruption It's founded on corruption. And that's what white privilege is. That's completely a commentary on America. And notice how that's completely a different commentary than Christopher Nolan's. Now, yeah, yeah. I don't want to think that I'm just giving this movie a bad review simply based on the ideas in it. You could do a movie based on that idea well. The problem is they just didn't execute it well. And that goes to my other two critiques. One, you mentioned the length. William, we know that here in the midside, we're okay with longer movies. I mean, Zack Snyder's Justice League, right, was our favorite movie last year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's probably the best superhero movie. So it's not about length, but it's about what you do with it. Giggity. All right. Yeah. Giggity. And I have not had a movie feel like it was supposed to be over so many times besides Lord of the Rings. Do you remember the memes back in the day, the jokes back in the day about the false finishes in that movie? It was the same thing here. This movie just kept going. It was, it was like he saved everyone. Then, then it was like, Oh, we have to catch the Riddler. Then he had to catch the Riddler and then something else went wrong. I, I don't know how this movie kept going. I just, I literally wanted it to be over. And then finally, this movie had a huge naturalistic bent to it. I don't want to say this movie is purely naturalism, but through much of this movie, especially the first half, things were just happening. I mean, how about the fact that the movie doesn't establish how long Batman's been around, doesn't establish how influential Batman is. It does a good job of showing and not telling his relationship with the police but through the majority of the movie i was confused why the riddler was reaching out to batman i was just like is batman that big of a deal in this world because he didn't seem to be that big of a deal it was i was confused i thought i thought maybe the riddler knew who the batman was yeah i was confused like i was like wait are they really gonna do that like because like you said it wasn't it wasn't shown or told it was just sort of like I don't know. Maybe we're supposed to read into that. I don't know. Well, right. Because think about it. The cops didn't want him there. And it was the idea of like, oh, well, in every other Batman thing, I've always assumed Batman just shows up where he wants because he's able to get in and nobody can stop him. But in this one, there was the whole thing with Gordon where it was like, why are you letting him into the crime scene? So it was like he wasn't that known or anything and he wasn't that respected. And then it's like, why is the Riddler getting the Batman involved in this. Then it finally at the end, when the the Riddler's in Arkham Asylum is when you find out why he's after the Batman. It's like, why did you wait till the end of the movie when I'm bored and I'm annoyed with you to reveal this part of it? It was like yeah. that part could have been written in earlier. Yeah, I was, uh, I guess one other little critique is, uh, I don't think they did Bruce Wayne very well either. Um, he wasn't, there wasn't that much time where he was Bruce Wayne and he was basically the same as Batman, like kind of moody and angsty and like depressed, which again, he's fine, but they didn't, 
also show if they were trying to go for the white privilege theme, they should have showed him able to do things that Batman or or uh uh Selena, right? That's her Catwoman's alter ego name, uh wouldn't be able to access or do, right? And like because that would have integrated with the theme. Again, I'm not trying to, you know, advocate the theme, but like that would have integrated with the theme. But instead he's I, I don't know. He's got money. That was it. Right? He's got well, all this the, access a, that he automatically has because he's a Wayne. Right. Like, they didn't show any of that. And there's an issue with what you're talking about, William, not what you're saying, but with if they did that. They went with the whole direction of Catwoman. Selena Kyle was essentially Carmine Falcone's bastard daughter. Right, we yeah. don't usually use bastard to define women, but that's what she was essentially, right? Yeah. I think that's a spoiler. Well, too. there's lockers in the barn, and Lori's pregnant. I, I don't care because it's relevant to what you're saying, and it has to be yeah. said that makes her half white. And you know what that half white has? White privilege. Oh lord, she didn't because check her privilege. Isn't the same thing Riddler's accusing everyone of? Isn't she related to that? Yeah, wouldn't she? Isn't be she just hanging as around that? Exactly. Yeah. So it would it, it ruins the movie if they go in that direction and they make those things explicit. It, their their whole the, the internal logic of the movie falls apart. She is much as much as she doesn't want to admit it. She is as much benefiting from the corruption as Bruce Wayne would have been. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's probably the major major philosophical issue with the movie is always in the past the Waynes have been shown as good guys, whereas here. They were shown as bad guys, right? They were Mixed. shown as bad guys and saying they're as corrupt as everyone bad. else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and the whole idea of renewal, I mean, it's really hard in the year 2022 not to read renewal as make America great again and not to read renewal as a critique of the right wing yeah. and the idea that, oh, the right wing is trying to return us to what made America great. It's really hard not to read the movie that way. But ultimately, that's just a front for corruption. It's really hard not to read the movie that way. And then, William, here's here's the final thing I wanted your thought on, because I thought you would be much more sensitive to this than I was. I thought ultimately the Riddler was meant to be a 4chan user and that he was a critique of the, you know, far right or more libertarian leaning people on 4chan that the left hates. That's what I thought ultimately his character was intended to be. Did you get that sense? Yeah, but because it was muddled uh, with the, like, serial killer slash, I don't know, like, Son of Sam sort of, like, vibe, right? And the very, like, I don't know. It, I think you're right. I think that I was able to look past that a little more easily because of the, because of the uh, uh, lack of integration. But yeah, that's definitely, uh, it's definitely a critique on 4chan. Absolutely. It, Yeah. Or yeah, it's a t- an attempt at it. It's an attempt at it. I'll put it that way. Yeah, it's an attempt at it. It's an attempt at many things. And I think, you know, to follow up on what you're saying and, and, and bring this all to a close here, this review to a close, I think the most interesting thing is when you talked about the execution of the Riddler. And you just said right now a serial killer. It was really interesting what they did, how they went for it. Uh, the, the performance by the actor was very interesting. But when I put that in the context of everyone talked about how realistic and grounded Nolan's movie was, you know, no one's Batman's were. 
and then I talk about how this movie has a naturalistic streak to it. This is what happens when you stray too far from romanticism. When you take these characters that are meant to be larger than life and represent concepts and ideals and you ground them too much. To me, the Riddler does not work when he is this realistic. He just seemed like a random dude who is a vlogger and a 4chan user and that it, it doesn't work. And that's what ended up happening with Batman as well. He just seemed like a depressed guy who went around and fought crime a little bit. And is it a Batman movie? Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and argue this isn't Batman. Yeah, that was clearly a Batman movie. It's just not a Batman movie I enjoy. So on our scale, I am going to give this a no bro. So it's not the worst rating ever, right? It's not a just no. I'm not saying this is you know, a movie that we need to talk about how atrocious it is and focus on this. This is just a movie that happened. It exists. It's not well done. There are good parts about it. There are bad parts about it. And I just wouldn't recommend it. It's a no bro. What about you? I'm right there with you. It's a no bro. Uh, again, I don't think it's like if you're a Batman fan and you're, you've been itching for seeing Batman portrayed in a film with it as a more detective Batman, there's things to be, uh, there's, uh, a vein of goodness to be mined out of this, but it really is in the first third to, to half of the movie. And then after that, it, it, it's not going to, you're not going to get the payoff that you want. So if that's what you want, go for it. Otherwise, no, bro. Yeah. And Zoe Kravitz looks good. So if you want to see her look good throughout that the movie, out of it, that's... that's right. <laughs> All right. We just finished talking about a movie that just came out, a recent major release. Now we're going to talk about movies that are going to come out. I usually post the trailers on Saturday in the Discord, so you can go in there and you can watch them before the episode, after the episode, or you can, you know, alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Obi-Wan Kenobi is Disney's latest attempt to make money off of the star wars franchise and i say that because i don't know i'm not a star wars fan to begin with but i just don't i don't get what other story there is to tell for obi-wan right we have the prequels we have the original trilogy we see him raise anakin we we see him die in the original trilogy i don't i don't get like what other story there is to tell with obi-wan so i don't see any other reason for this to have been made besides, hey, we need subscribers for Disney Plus and we're going to keep milking money out of the Star Wars fans. I mean, it didn't look visually bad. It looked like a Star Wars thing. But I just saw the same old thing. Oh, the Jedi are good and they have compassion and we need to kill them in the battle between light and dark. I just, I don't know. This is this this feels tired to me. Tackle. Tackle. I know Star Wars fans are so des- desperate for actual decent content. Um, but, uh, as Doomcock says on YouTube, uh, uh, without respect, we reject. And, uh, you can already see it. Justin, the, the black chick wearing the Darth Vader outfit. Seriously. If this had had Darth Vader in it, or maybe they're going to bring Darth Vader. Maybe we can hold out hope. Nah, I'll just pass. Tackle. Tackle. William, would that, you're going to play the drop now. No, I'll wait till you get into it again. Okay. Well, as I was about to say, describing her race, I don't even care about her race and gender. It's what I'm talking about with 
where is there more story to tell? Like, you're just going to invent a character to have a series? Like, there was this other Darth Vader-esque character hanging around this whole time? Yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, yep, of course. Yep. It makes makes no sense. Like, it doesn't matter. She could have been, like, Anna Cornacoba in the 90s. Uh, You waited a long time for that one. I I was waiting for you to squirm. It could have been anyone. It could have been, could have been Peter anyone. Dinklage, yeah. and yeah. I would have been like, "What the fuck is this exactly. character doing?" Yeah, I, the, I, lo- the, I love the, Peter Dinklage, yeah. but the the dressing up someone, anyone, as in the Darth Vader suit or yeah. reminiscent of the Darth Vader suit, yeah, is just a. And then the, the Darth Vader breathing at the end. It's like, hey, it you can make this an interesting story. It could be Obi Wan's story, but it's about how, you know, Darth Vader is going around and being evil as leading up to, you know, a new hope. Like maybe you could do yeah. something there, but like why enter like, okay, cool. Introduce new characters. That's fine. But this is just so, uh, like you said, what story are you going to tell? And then if it's going to be fan service, then it should be Obi-Wan. It's basically, it could, it could be Obi-Wan hide and seek from Darth Vader, because that is the only question fans like deep lore fans were or would wonder is like how did how what did obi-wan have to do to hide himself uh and luke from darth vader yeah that that would make sense as a story i honestly yeah. thought it was going to be um darth maul and i don't even care that he was cut in half right like yeah <laughs> like it would have made more sense to bring him back and be like oh we just stitched him together like it's yeah sci-fi fantasy like it would have you could have done it right it's it's soft soft sci-fi you know you could have done it so it's just none of it makes any sense to me but i'm not a star wars guy so second trailer sharkula is a b and i don't even want to say b horror movie this is like a d borderline f horror movie about a shark that's also a vampire which look i love the look i put this trailer on here because i love the logo the graphic design is awesome for this trailer nothing else is this is when we talk about anyone can make a movie nowadays the the, the technology has become so affordable but just because you can doesn't mean you should uh this definitely should not have been made i don't know how it got on the coming soon.net slash trailers list but it was there and they they suckered me into watching it as describing it as a horror comedy and having a great logo but beyond that no tackle tackle uh hilarious concept uh very uh very uh interesting um special effects terrible acting uh i think this is this is one of those uh one of the it, it has the possibility of becoming one of those cult classic terrible movies if it actually gets made. I can't believe like what was the budget for this movie? It had to be under a thousand dollars. Tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Bullet Train is John Wick meets Deadpool, starring Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is some sort of like hitman type character, like John Wick, Keanu Reeves' character. And just like that character, he's brought back into the game, even though he doesn't want to be here. He's trying to take a uh, briefcase from a bullet train in Japan. And there are lots of other high profile assassins and bodyguards and such who are also after that briefcase. Uh, 
it's sort of reminiscent of if you remember the robot world in Sucker Punch where they fight on the train. I I, I was reminded of that. Uh, it was by the director of Deadpool 2, so there were, I was reminded of that. And also, like I said, I was reminded of John Wick because of sort of the style of the character and the the fight scenes. So I actually think this looks really, really good. It, 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 it takes what Brad Pitt is good at and frames him in this sort of new age action movie. And I'm glad these type of movies exist because I think these are the kind of things that are keeping art going in our society. I, I'm really interested to see what this final product is like. This is a big hug for me. Hug. Yeah, this is a hug for me as well. Uh, one little nitpick. Something just seemed a little off in the very first scene they're sitting on the train and it just seemed like it was completely green screen, including the seats they were sitting on. So I don't know if that was just the trailer and how it was cut. Maybe they're going to do some additional coloring or, you know, post-processing work on the film. There was something just a little bit off about about it um, visually that I that was kind of took me out at first. Um, that being said, it looks like a fun action movie. And, you know, I'm all for that. Definitely going to hug that. Mm, hug. Final trailer. The Bubble is a Netflix original movie by Judd Apatow about the behind the scenes of a major franchise movie being made during the pandemic. So I think, what, what were they called? Cliff, Cliff Dwellers? Is that what the movie was called, William? I thought it was Cliffhangers 6 or something. Well, it can't no, be Cliffhanger because Cliff... that would have been... Um, yeah, you're right. I can't remember. That's it. a Stallone movie, but yeah. Cliff something, Cliff... right? Yeah. But there, it's a monster movie, and it's the sixth one, and it's, you know, it's a, one of these big-budget monster movies. And it's actually what's going on behind the scenes while they're one of two major Hollywood productions going on during the pandemic. And the thing I absolutely love, well, there's three things I absolutely love about this. One, it's a send up of everything that happened during the pandemic and how absurd it was. Two, it's a send up of the big budget IP franchise culture in Hollywood. And three, it's in the style of Judd Apatow. This trailer looks like Judd Apatow got his groove back, just so to speak. I haven't been a fan of his last few movies. There's there's one I even haven't seen. It, his early, early stuff is awesome when we're talking about, you know, the 40-year-old virgin and Knocked Up, right? This is some really great movies. These are classic comedies. They're some of my favorite movies ever. And he kind of lost his touch for a while. This looks like he got it back. And it looks like it's because he actually has something to say. I think this movie has a tremendous amount of potential. And perhaps, like Army of the Dead and Rebel Moon, it couldn't have been made without Netflix. So, as critical as I've been of Netflix at times, this this might be a, fe- a huge feather in their cap. So, again, this is a huge, huge hug for me. But unfortunately, because it's not in theaters, it has to be a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Yeah, you know, I have a high bar for comedy, and this is one of the rare movies that, from watching the trailer, I'm actually excited to see. Uh, the 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 scenes where you can see the special effects and then see the real people uh, and the, the acting there, that, that just looks funny. Like, I, I, there's going to be tons of comedy there that can be mined, and it's very interesting, and it's a new way of doing it, and I like it. So I'm I'm in. I'm on Netflix and hug this one, too. Netflix and hug. 
All right, William, that brings us to the end of the episode. What did we learn this trip? I learned the importance of, well, not learned, but I learned a new concrete technique that I can share with others about reframing or unframing things so that people can have a deeper understanding of what's going on. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Well, and I also learned a concept we can use to communicate that, but to go a step deeper than that, and it's read the bill, right? I think that's a great metaphor for when people are trying to make A, not A. All you have to do is go back and read the bill. I mean, that even all the way goes back to Deflategate, if you remember. Yeah. Deflategate was literally, hey, we're going to try and ignore the, um, the ideal gas law. All you had to do is read the bill, read the ideal gas law, go in reality, and you saw that what they were saying was wrong. But all of this effort was made to make it seem like A was an A. And that's what we saw with Don't Say Gay. Read the bill, ladies and gentlemen. Read the bill. All right, that concludes your... Uh, I was going to go right into my ending Whoa, here. I got yeah. I got a plug Jump first. Ahead. Sorry, it was... Spoilers. My brain just... My brain There's just farted, in the right? And Lori's pregnant. <laughs> I, love, I love how that's so old, but it's such the perfect spoiler clip. Anyway, <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening. If it wasn't for you listening, this would be just me talking into a corner like a crazy person in the closet. I mean, it still is, but at least now Florida requires you to tell my parents that I'm in the closet and being crazy, Right? All right, if you want to support the show, you can do so any number of ways. You can go to midside.com slash store, pick up some merch. Uh, you can go to Patreon or Locals. So Patreon is per episode, Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. Most importantly, you can tell a friend. Now, this concludes your journey into the Midside. I'm Justin Emelzneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Read the bill. <laughs> You know, Justin, we're going to have a schism soon if we don't review Arcane. Uh, that's That schism is... Uh, I don't know. It's spring break. We'll see if I can get to it this week.